This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs. I'm Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of the Citizen Capital Studios in Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. No newscast today. Instead, we're going to proffer up another reason why ICE should be abolished. We sat down with reporter Owen Higgins, frequent guest of this show, who just released an expose on a certain ICE facility in Massachusetts that is rampant with abuse. So It's in Bristol County, for the record, as you will soon find out. Yeah. We'll just let uh, Owen take it from here. First off, Owen, how did the Bristol County Jail first appear on your radar? Well, uh, I live in Massachusetts, um, and uh, you know I, I do reporting in in the state and or in the Commonwealth and and in the New England and Northeast area. So, uh, it 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 wasn't weird that I would eventually find out about this. Um, actually, the way that I first found out about Bristol County and Sheriff Hodgson was actually my mom uh, sent me an email uh, that, and this is kind of paraphrase, but she was like, you know, what, what, what is going on here? Uh, you, should, you should look at this. Um, and then I started looking into it and, and I found, so, so I wrote a story for Shadowproof back in January about how uh, the sheriff's department was trying to use a privatization scheme uh, on video visitation yeah, uh, sounds pretty greasy. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gross, and 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 it's also it's just really bad for um, mental and physical health of prisoners and their families to no longer have like to have that in person contact and to only have the video. And then of course there's like how like they just hose people. So um, uh, uh, if I can stop you for a second, uh, you mentioned this. Uh, what seems to be punitive privatization where it's a doubly uh, not only a giveaway to the, to the private prison industry, but it's also designed to uh, basically punish prisoners and de- deprive them of contact. Uh, it, it, and it kind of sounds like the antagonist in your story, this, this sheriff, Sheriff Hodgson, Thomas Hodgson, he kind of seems like Massachusetts answer to Sheriff Joe. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's uh, well. That's definitely what um, activists in the area that I spoke to, who are much more familiar with him than I am, that's exactly what they said. They said that you know he, um, what they roughly said was that, that he sees an opportunity presented by Sheriff Joe no longer being on the national stage, and he's trying to take it. Um, so, Dan Jerry. January 2017, he suggested that he would send prisoners from the jail to the Mexican border to build uh, the wall that Trump had promised during the campaign. So that that was kind of the first time that he became kind of nationally known. Um, well, since Sheriff Joe was pardoned, doesn't this sheriff in Massachusetts realize we don't need another Sheriff Joe? That Sheriff Joe is unfortunately doing fine and well in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, look, look. I, I don't want to give the impression that this guy's uh, motivation is fame. Um, his motivation seems pretty clearly 
that he is a true believer in this uh, incredibly punitive uh, approach to criminal justice. And, um, I, you know, I, I, think, I think a good way to put it is to kind of say that the approach that he brings to people who enter the jail for crimes uh, that they're convicted of or if they're there for pretrial, which the majority are there for pretrial, or if they're there uh, awaiting a civil deportation hearing, like the ICE detainees, this guy appears to think that all crime is equal and uh, that civil deportation proceedings are the same as waiting for a criminal trial and that just being accused is enough to have, you know, to justify going after you. So I, th I think that this is just part of his general philosophy, the way that he's treating these ICE detainees, same way that he's treating everybody at that jail. So this is a jail that, uh, as you said, it, it is uh, full or it has ICE detainees. It also has, uh, you know, regular inmates in this jail. I, I mean, how, how did how did this become an ICE facility? Is this just contracted out through ICE? Yeah, so there are these uh, things called 287G agreements. And, and this is very uh, this is a very oversimplified explanation of what they are, but they're basically agreements where ICE subcontracts detention and arrest to local municipalities, uh, mostly because ICE's mission, uh, as far as uh, immigration enforcement, they they just don't have the manpower to do what what they're being asked to do what they've been asked to do for the last three administrations this isn't just under trump like like 287 g's have been around since the bush years which is when bristol county uh signed theirs in 2005 2006 or something and they have they've been holding people for ice ever since they have an outbuilding on on campus that's that's pretty large where they keep 120 uh male ice prisoners and then they also keep them inside the jail uh, mixed in with the general population. So you've talked to some of these inmates, the ICE detainees. What are, what are some of the abuses that uh, they reported? Yeah, so I talked to former uh, ICE detainees. I talked to three people, uh, two of whom are still in the U.S. and are still working their way through the uh, immigration uh, court process. So they didn't want to be named. And then the other one uh, was a woman named Siham Baya who is um, a Moroccan-born, Boston-based activist that was deported back to Morocco uh, two years ago, I believe, or, or last year. Um, and, yeah, so what they said was, was pretty much the same, um, that the place is filthy. It's, it's, it's like, dangerously unclean. Um, one, one guy, I, I can't remember this name of the article or not, but, like, one guy told me that uh, in... In the in the jail proper, in his like cell block, there was one toenail clipper. Between to share between everybody. Ew. Yeah, like like you know that's like forty, eighty people or something like that. They all had to share oh. one. Uh, Jesus. And, yeah, it was disgusting. It was like it was disgusting to hear about. And like this guy was like telling me like, uh, and you could just hear he was just like still just disgusted by it. Um, the uh, the medical facilities uh, are uh, were described as medieval to me by one public defender that I spoke to who has represented uh, clients who have gone through the jail. Um, 
I heard other things about the medical conditions there uh, where, you know, they, they don't have like the right tools. They don't have the right equipment. Um, they don't, they don't really like do any preventative care or, or, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of this stuff didn't make in the article I'm telling you now, but I'm just kind of remembering being told about it. Like they, they were saying that, you know, you would, um, have to like send a note requesting medical assistance and medical care. And, you know, if you were lucky, somebody would get back to you in 48 hours to tell you like when they would be able to see you. Um, and if it was on the weekend, like forget about it. Like you're not going to hear about it until Monday at least. Um, there was also, just, uh, oh, sorry, go on. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, and, and, and just kind of wrap up the thing about the medical thing is that, that, that generally it just seemed like, uh, from the people that I talked to, the medical staff were just completely, um, uninterested and uncaring. Um, Sorry, so go ahead. Nice. Uh, The thing that struck me most in your article, uh, which deservedly got a lot of attention in your piece for obvious reasons, is that Bristol County uh, also appears to be using solitary confinement, which many have said at length can be akin to torture. And uh, they're using solitary for what seems to be political reasons or if not political, just at least totally arbitrary and capricious in how they're throwing people uh, in in solitary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely using it as a punitive measure. Um, you know, how, how that kind of plays out, I guess, depends on your feelings about solitary. Uh, you know, mine are, mine are similar to yours. They, Siham said that she was put into solitary twice. I should say that that was denied by Bristol County. Um, they said she was only put in once for one day. She says she was put in twice, once for one day, once for three days. Uh, she described really horrific conditions that Bristol County denied. Uh, but, you know, the other two guys that I talked to, though, they, you know, they, they said the same thing. They said that these guys were just using it for any reason that they could think of. Um, you know, you, uh, one guy said that so, like somebody missed roll call and he got sent to solitary. You know, like, and, and, and these are like not people who have been convicted of a crime. These are not people who are waiting for a criminal trial. These are people who are waiting for, uh, yeah, so this, this was specifically inside of the uh, outbuilding that this, this guy got sent into solitary because he wasn't there for roll call. And, and these people are being held for a civil uh, hearing. You know, they're, they're not being held for a criminal hearing. Mm. being held for a civil hearing on whether or not they're going to get deported or not. Um, now, it's it, it if if you were predisposed to not if you were predisposed to believe whatever the police were going to say, you say okay, well these are three former ICE detainees. They didn't like being locked up, you know that that's just that's just their word against against the police word. Um, so okay, there there's also been years of reporting about Bristol County sheriffs using solitary as a place to hold people who are suicidal so that they don't have to deal with them. Uh, holding people who have epileptic conditions, they just throw them into solitary. Like this stuff has been well documented for years that this, that this jail has been using solitary as kind of a catch all for whatever, um, 
whatever's irritating them at the moment, they'll just say, okay, well, whatever, we'll just throw you in solitary. So why uh, haven't Massachusetts authorities or federal authorities, I, I mean, at this point, obviously, we have no <laughs> we have no hope for federal authorities, considering this is the administration that pardoned Sheriff Joe, but why haven't Massachusetts state authorities uh, done anything here? Have they? Are, are there any ongoing lawsuits? Well, uh, I, I guess... The, the, as far as the federal stuff goes, um, what I said to me in a statement was that they have people go in and check facilities all the time, and they've, you know, not found enough at this facility to, uh, you know, merit taking the 287G agreement away or shutting it down. Uh, however, in 2013, they found 10 violations of. Of, of their um, regulations. And then the next time that I could find that they went to check it out in 2016, they found 10 violations of their regulations, some of, of which were repeat. Uh, now, none of these had anything to do uh, with solitary confinement as far as I was able to tell from what I read. Uh, but ICE, ICE can definitely say and, and, and be correct that occasionally they do uh, go and review conditions in this facility. Uh, however, they don't do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, have, um, have you heard of an instance in which ICE reviewed a facility and said, oh, well, the there's too much abuse going on here. We're going to shut this place down. No, no. Surprisingly, because, you know, you, you really expect them to. But <laughs> uh, um, as far as state authorities go, um I, I don't I don't really understand how this jail has been allowed to operate like this for so many years with people knowing this uh, behavior is going on. Uh, the attorney general has launched or has requested to to launch an investigation into uh, the notably high number of suicides that are in this jail. Um, I think it's, it's uh, these aren't the exact numbers, but something like twenty two percent of all suicides in Massachusetts jails with a population that only holds 13%. Um, so, and, and that was from uh, reporting uh, by the New England uh, Center for Investigative Reporting, hmm. uh, who, who, who exposed this uh, after, you know, long investigative report. Um, and, and so that is some change that is, is, is happening now. But, uh, you know, I, I think the thing to remember is that Massachusetts, although it is a, a really blue state, it has some really weird habits, and one of those habits is electing um, chisel-jawed Republicans as governors who then proceed to annihilate uh, the public sector and, and, and just basically loot the state. Uh, this happens – it's kind of like every other governor does it. And then, you know, they, and then they put in somebody who has to like fix the mess, and then they put in – so the guy that they have in now is a guy named Charlie Baker um, who – is a Republican and is very popular in the state for some unknown reason, um, and is is politically smart enough to not vocally support what um, Hodgson is doing, but it's very obvious that that he generally agrees with it uh, from 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 all of his other uh, a- a- agreements with the Trump administration about this stuff. Um, you know. It's interesting that the 
congressional representative who, who represents um, Bristol County has a lot of pull in his party and probably could uh, make us think about this, but has not yet for some reason. Um, and that would be uh, Joe Kennedy. Hmm. He's uh, probably too busy going after potheads. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to be fair, like Kennedy has gone on record before being critical of Hodgson, but um, has not. I, I haven't really seen anything about this the ice stuff, so hmm. maybe maybe it's coming. I remember I remember a few years ago hearing horror stories from Guantanamo Bay about uh, prisoners there going on hunger strikes and then being force fed, strapped down and have tubes inserted in their nose. And uh, various international organizations looked at this practice and concluded that this was a form of torture that was going on at Guantanamo Bay, these brutal force feeding techniques. We might see some of that happen at ICE facilities, too, based on what uh, some of the people you interviewed said. Yeah, so uh, Ms. Baia um, alleges that she went on hunger. Well, that's not an allegation. That's been confirmed by everybody we talked to. So she went on hunger strike when she first entered the jail uh, because she didn't understand what the reason for her arrest was, why she was being held there as opposed to the facility in South Bay in Boston. Um, so just for, for your reader or listeners who aren't familiar with Massachusetts um, or, or aren't familiar with Bristol County, is, uh, Bristol County is kind of like to the east of Rhode Island. So it's below the Cape and uh, or yeah, kind of below where the Cape starts and below Boston. Uh, so somebody like Ms. Baia should have been held in the South Bay uh, detention facility, which is in Boston, because that's where she would have been picked up, and that's where her support system was, uh, and that's you know where her family is and everything. But instead, they took her to Bristol, and she assumed uh, that this was a politically motivated decision. So she went on hunger strike, and they immediately put her into administrative segregation, which is different than disciplinary segregation, because disciplinary segregation is when you put into solitary for punishment. Ad seg is when you put into solitary uh, for your own protection or so that you can be watched or taken care of. The, the stuff I was talking about, about the suicides and the epileptic stuff, that would be ad seg as well. Um, not that this stuff is not used as punishment, but it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be used for the health of the, uh, the, the prisoner. So anyway, uh, she was put in there and she, so she says that she was put in there for three days Bristol County Jail says she was put in there for one day. Uh, let's just assume that Siham is telling the truth, because that's my assumption here, and say that she was there for three days. Well, what she says what happened is that she eventually broke her hunger strike because the guards came in and said, we're going, you know, some of the effect of uh, if you don't eat, we're going to strip you naked, tie you down, and force feed you. And they also said um, that... Ice would ice would not put up with a detainee dying in the jail, so they they would do whatever they needed to do to keep her alive. It's pretty uh, pretty he, pretty gross. Yeah, even, even saying it that way makes it sound like a more like a positive or even like benevolent thing than it was. Obviously, this was like they weren't trying to keep her alive because of any uh, concern for her health. Uh, they were just doing it so that they wouldn't you know, maybe lose their 287G um, contract or whatever. 
this is just, of course, one facility that that ICE contracts out with. Uh, I am guessing if you contacted other inmates at other facilities, we'd probably see similar horror stories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that it, it would, it would. I, I think you could say that it would be a mistake to take this jail, which is the worst, like like known as like the worst, most uh, abusive, punitive jail in Massachusetts, and say that every single uh, detention center that that ICE runs uh, through 287G in other um, municipality facilities uh, are all going to be as bad as this one. I, I think that, you know, obviously that's probably not true. Um, but the flip side of that is that this isn't the only facility where people are treated like this. This isn't the only facility that's this bad, and it's definitely not the only facility like this where ICE is holding people. So while, yeah, certainly I'm sure that some conditions in some places are probably better, uh, I, I think it's a virtual certainty that there are at least a few more places where people are being treated like this. Yeah, it shows that what you can get away with, I guess, and that all facilities might not be like this, but ICE certainly doesn't care if there are facilities like that. No, I mean, they really don't, they don't appear to. And like, um, you know, honestly, like this isn't, this is not a federal agency where you can say, well, you know, they like their heart's in the right place. And maybe, you know, maybe they're just not able to like, you know, you know, stay up on this because they're doing so much work. It's like, no, like they're kidnapping kids and separating families. And like, there are like tales of abuse coming out of like all this stuff, like almost like an article a day, you know, like, like we, we published this story and on the same day, uh, New York times reported a story from uh, two detainees alleging, um, sexual abuse at the hands of, mm. of, uh, ice, um, in, in, in ICE detention. You know, like, like this stuff is coming out all the time. So, no, ICE, ICE doesn't give a shit. Yeah, it's it's almost as bad as what Trump did in Helsinki a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is true. And, and like, I, I should say that I don't I don't want my, my article about this to distract from Russia, which is, <laughs> of course, the important story. Uh, you know, honestly, I was hoping that you would say something about this because... Um, of course I would. <laughs> yeah. One thing that has just been driving me up the wall about all of this uh, coverage of of the Helsinki uh, meeting and uh, the indictments and, and, and you know just go like off. Last, yeah, it's just like the whole thing. It, it, like it, it's MSNBC and CNN. It's like all they're doing is talking about this while you know. I mean, how many times did you hear about Janice? Right. The Janice decision. How many times did you hear about that? Right. On, Very on, little. Like, how many times did you hear about the Muslim ban being upheld? Maybe a little bit more, but not much. When CNN you know? did their Muslim ban coverage, it was Jake Tapper took the opportunity to harangue Keith Ellison for non ties to uh, Louis Louis Farrakhan. Right. Right. Yeah. Because that's important. Like like something like that. Keith Ellison was uh, a self-described um, angry young man in college. Like, like, like that matters. Like, like who gives a shit? Like, uh, I, you know, I don't know. Everyone would like to know what Keith Ellison's parents were doing. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm just, I'm just so exhausted by all of it. Like, and 
Yeah, I don't know. I, it's uh, like I can't even like laugh at Eric Garland. Sir, I cannot yeah. believe, sir, the Russians would take a reputable organization like the NRA and <laughs> and send an and send an overt influence peddler who merely who merely forgot to register under FARA. <laughs> you know what? Um, so I used to drive a lot for work uh, back when I was like a local reporter, and I still have um, satellite radio in my car. So whenever I'm driving, if I'm not like listening to baseball or something like that, I put on like MSNBC or something. And I'll tell you, like not watching it, but just listening to it, like you actually like you listen obviously because you're not watching. Like you listen more to what they're saying, and and it, it's 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 an enraging experience, um, especially when they're talking about this stuff because every person that they bring in all, all these like natsec um, experts and everything, like like. They're talking, and each sentence that they're saying has just like it's just lie after lie after like the entire structure of their argument about how great America is or whatever is all based on bullshit. Yeah, sir. You, democracy you, is character is our national character, sir. Democracy is central to our national character. What Trump did was crystal knocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and you're preaching to the choir here. You know oh, I this. Know, I know. You know this. Hey, where can uh, where can people can find your latest reporting and what you're working on and stuff? Just find me on Twitter, twitter.com backslash e o i n h i g g i n s underscore. That's probably the best place right now to find uh, my work and to keep up with uh, following what I'm doing. Owen Higgins, the District Sentinel's most frequent podcast guest. Yes, returning champion. You are our returning champion. Thanks so much for coming on the show. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Little bonus content here. When I was recently on Delete Your Account, I uh, I thought that Kumar's was mispronouncing Owen as your name is spelled, and I was like, oh, is it? Are you meaning to say something spelled E O I N? And he's like, no, Sam. God, we've also had Owen Higgins on our show like ten <laughs> times. <laughs> Owen, the yeah. po- popular dude here. A little, popular podcast A little guy. podcast uh, esoterica for you right there. Thanks, Owen. Yep, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks again to Owen Higgins. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks to our sponsors, the Congressional Dish Podcast, hosted by Jen Briney. Find it at congressionaldish.com, another sponsor, levelnews.org, and Citizen Capital. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Tune in by searching for District Sentinel Radio. Give us a review. Give us a rating. Tell your friends to listen. The newscast returns on Thursday. We're in D.C., so you don't have to be.